Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke 22. So with that last question ringing in our ears, we will head to Luke 22, verses 13 through 20. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, and God, we thank you for the way that we have uh, seen how you have revealed yourself to us through all of creation. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us more specifically in your word. And God, we thank you for the ways that you have uh, revealed yourself most clearly in the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that we would be those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and minds to understand and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives, that we would be ready to be changed in the ways that we need to be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 22, verses 13 through 20. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Turning then to our New Testament reading, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Paul has been writing in chapters 1 through 3 and saying, look out, he's specifically uh, talking to Jewish believers and saying, look out at all the the Gentiles and the bad things they do. And everybody says, yeah. And God's wrath is deserved. And they say, yeah. And then he goes to chapter 2 and says, and you are doing the same things they are. And they said, what? (laughs) And then he uh, makes the point that everybody is in the same position in being deserving of God's wrath. And yet, it is both to Jews and Gentiles alike that salvation has come through Jesus. And so this is the good news that he is letting them know about and says that it is by faith that you have been saved. And so then he goes back in chapter 4 and goes back all the way to Abraham and says, I mean, just think about it. (laughs) This has always been the case from the beginning. So chapter 4 begins this way. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, To the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. 
David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I have some questions for you before we begin. Uh, one is, how, how many of you really enjoy waiting? It's okay, I'll wait. Nobody? I don't see any, anybody enjoy waiting? No, not, not typically. Uh, there are times where you might enjoy waiting, and that is uh, <laughs> maybe if there's something that you just don't want to face. And so you're like, you know what, if that takes a while to get here, I'm just fine with that. But typically, if we are looking forward to something good that is coming, and it's, but you have to wait. You go to Disneyland, and you stand in line for three hours for the one ride, and you're not like, why am I, why did I pay to come stand in line all day? Then the heat, this is, I could have done that at home. Typically, we don't like waiting. You get out to a crowded restaurant, and they say, it'll be 45 minutes. And you go, well, okay, maybe that'll be all right. And then an hour and 15 minutes has gone by, and you're like, I'm not sure this is all right anymore. (laughs) Typically, we don't like to wait, uh, but we do an awful lot of it. Um, I once heard a comedian talking about the idea of waiting, and he said that there are some people who are so good at waiting that they're professionals. They call them waiters. (laughs) That's what they do. They come up to the table, and they're like, are you ready to order? "Mm, Not yet. That's okay. I'll wait. Anyway, (laughs) that's what they do. They're waiters. Uh, And in some sense, we're all professional waiters. (laughs) We wait for things all the time. Uh, the reason I bring it up is we're going to look at Abraham, uh, still Abram at this point, and he has been given promises by God. God has made him these great promises all the way back in chapter 12, and now we're in chapter 15, and there's a lot of life that's gone on in between those chapters. He has moved from one place to another multiple times. He has had life situations happen family-wise. He has had to go to battle against other kings. Like, life has been happening. And then we get to this point in his life. He was 75 years old, by the way, when we first met him in chapter 12. And a lot of life's taken place since then. And one of the promises that he was given is that he was going to have, he was going to be the father of a great nation. And he, from him would come all these children and at this point, how many children does he have? I like to keep track. <laughs> Still zero. Still waiting. He's also given the promise that he was going to have, uh, that his descendants would be inheriting this great land, that they would take possession of it. This is why he left from Ur of the Chaldeans. God has called him from there to this place where God says, I'm going to give you this place, what I'm going to show you. And so Abram goes and he follows God and he gets to this place. He's like, all right, now look around this land, all of this that you see, I'm going to give this to you and your descendants. Well, it's been some time. How much land does he own at this point? How much has he taken possession of? Still waiting. This is where we pick up the story. This is uh, Genesis 
chapter 15. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, uh, Yeah, about that. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors and in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. All right. Abram has been waiting for these two great promises to be fulfilled, that he was going to be the father of many nations, but also that he was going to uh, inherit this land and take possession of it. And so far, none of it's happened. And so God comes to him in a vision. This is uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now think about this. Abram has uh, come back from a battle. He has uh, shown that he trusts in God to be the one who provides for him. And uh, so doesn't keep the spoils of battle, but gives it all away, gives it all back. Trusting that God is going to work in his life somehow. He's going to fulfill the promise that he's made to him somehow. And yet, as time has passed, there's still nothing to show for this. And then God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. I'm your reward. And he's like, okay, yeah, good, 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 got that. But, but it's about the things you said before. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second? 
Because I get it. You're my reward. My relationship with you, that's the thing that really matters above all else. Um, and I appreciate that. But didn't you make some other promises earlier? Is that, is that over, or are we still doing that? So I am your shield. I am your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram had left his family. Abram has no children. Abram is too old to be having children. And his wife is too old to be having children. And here they are. But he knows that he's going to have this great, he's going to be the father of many nations. And so how's that going to happen? And we had discussed before that maybe it was going to be through his nephew Lot. That he had brought his nephew Lot along with him, maybe, so that he could be the one through whom uh, his family name is passed, all the uh, things that he acquires in this new land, the land itself. Maybe that all goes through Lot, and Abram becomes the father this way. But we've already seen that's not the way that it's going to go. And in fact, Abram has already sent Lot away twice. So now we see Abram with no family except just he and Sarai. There they are. They've got a lot of other people in their household, but it's not family. And so he says, at this point, the things that I have accumulated, it's all going to a servant. That's not the way I saw this going. What gives? And maybe you can relate to this kind of a thing. When you know what it is that God has said he's going to do, and then you look out at the world in general, or you look out at the circumstances of your life or those you love, and you say, now hold on a second. I didn't think this is the way that it was supposed to go. That is where Abram is, and he has had some pretty specific promises given. And then God says, no, no, no. (laughs) This isn't the way it's going to go. You actually will have a, uh, a son who is your own flesh and blood. And you go, okay, okay. That's a bit more specific than what he'd heard before. So now we know at least some direction here. And then God says, okay, now go outside and look up at the stars. And this is when we always talk about where it's really good that uh, you live around here where you can see stars like Abram could. Uh, they're, they've done things where, like, where you count the stars, like for real, where they, you have to scan the whole thing, scan the sky and images, and then you go through and you mark them off as you, know, you actually count them. It's really hard to do if you're just like pointing. You lose track too easily. But you can count them, and with a naked eye, you can see thousands and thousands of stars um, if you are in a good, dark uh, place, not a lot of lights around. Let's say like in the cities, you can see often uh, you know, up to 35 stars in the night sky. Isn't that remarkable, the difference and the distinction? And that's like under best conditions, <laughs> 35 stars. So when we go outside... 
we have more of a view that Abram had, where you can see, you can see the Milky Way around. You see all these uh, stars upon stars upon stars upon stars. And I don't know about you, but I've read this passage before and thought to myself, this seems a strange move for Abram to say, I don't have any kids, God, what's the deal? And God's like, well, what if I promise you lots of kids? That's how I've taken it before. It's like, I don't understand how promising me lots of kids is any help in the situation I'm in currently with zero kids. And so I've taken it before as like somebody saying, hey, I will, uh, I'll give you five bucks. And then later you're like, hey, it's been a while and you didn't ever give me the five dollars. What's up? And he's like, tell you what, I'll give you a thousand dollars. And you're like, well, or you could just give me the five. <laughs> I don't understand how upping the promise is such an issue, but I don't think that's actually what God is doing here. If we go back to Genesis chapter 14, Yep, let's drop that. Genesis chapter 14, uh, verse 22, Abram, in talking to the king of Sodom, he says, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, etc., etc. Do you hear how he describes God? As the creator of heaven and earth. God is not taking him outside to look at the stars as a way of upping the promise. God is showing Abram his resume. He says, I want you to see these stars, and as you look at these stars, I want you to consider who it is that is making you this promise. The things that I have done in the past. Look at these stars, not just as a number which we're going to hope to get to someday in your family. Look at these stars as the evidence of the things that I have already done. And the God who can do this can do that, right? And so Abram goes out and he looks up at all the stars and he marvels at the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, who has created not only the land that he is going to give to Abram, but everything he sees, all of these other stars in the night sky, all of it. And he goes, okay, okay. Remembering who it is that's making the promise is why he looks at the stars. And Abram believes the Lord. And God credits that to him as righteousness. Do you trust me? Yeah. Good. That's what we've been going for. But of course, that's only the first uh, part of the issue, as we talked about. The other was the land, right? Still not any of that. So Abram says, well, how can I know I'm going to take possession of the land? And God says, well, go collect some animals and cut them in half. And today we're like, why? You, you are changing the subject and in a really weird direction. But that would not have been changing the subject, and it would not have been in a weird direction at all for Abram. This is the way that they would uh, make a covenant, that he would actually cut a covenant. And this is typically what happen when you have uh, a king who is then taking over 
another king. And so you have these two kind of rival empires, but one has now conquered the other. And so then they would make a covenant. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to destroy you. Here's what I'm going to do. You're going to live under my rulership now. And we're going to make a deal. And here's the way that it's going to work. We're going to cut some animals open. We're going to kill them, cut them in half, and lay them down. And you have to walk down this blood path. Yay. And as you are doing this, as you are walking between the animals, what the conquered peoples are saying as they go through this is, if we violate the terms of this covenant, may we become like these animals. In other words, we bear all the responsibility of making sure that this covenant is upheld. And if we don't, you are well within your rights to kill us. This is the way that this kind of covenant happens. And so when God says, or when Abram says, how do I know I'm going to take possession of the land? And God's like, go get some animals, start cutting them in half. He's like, okay, okay. The one who is the creator of heaven and earth has, is making this arrangement, this covenant, this deal with me, and I'm going to cut these open, and I'm going to go walk down the path. And then he's going to give me a list of things that I'm going to need to do, and I better do them. And so that part of the story would not have surprised Abram. What would have surprised him is the way things actually turned out, which is he cuts the animals. He gets ready to walk between them. Before he does so, of course, we have birds come down on him. It's a weird part of the story. The <laughs> birds come down, and he starts driving them away. But then, before he actually walks down the path, what happens? He gets suddenly very sleepy. <laughs> he falls into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him. And as he is in this deep sleep, he hears the word of the Lord come to him and say, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. What? I was asking about how we know that they're going to take possession of this land, and now the first thing you're telling me is that they're not going to be in this land, they're going to be somewhere else and strangers, and actually that they're going to be enslaved and they're going to be mistreated. Yeah, thick and dreadful darkness. <laughs> this does not sound like good news at all. But then, it continues. And God says, but this is going to happen. They will come out, and they will come out actually with great possessions, and, uh, well, there's one other thing he says, but before he says that, I'll tell you what he says first. The other thing he says is your descendants will take possession of this land. Before he says that, though, God himself symbolically in a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot passes between the pieces. This was what was so shocking. That it's not Abram that walks the blood path, it is God himself who walks this path. Saying if the terms of the covenant are violated, who is it that's going to take responsibility? Who is it that's going to bear the wrath of the king? Who is it that's going to become dead to pay the penalty? This 
It's what would have been shocking to Abram. But God confirms uh, to Abram with this covenant. And his promise would be fulfilled. Now, here's the thing. Abram has seen that the Lord, the God, the creator of heaven and earth is the one who can make these great promises and he can fulfill them. I mean, look at the stars and think back to who God is and what he has done and therefore what he can do. And because of that, Abram believes that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And now, he's not just the God who's the creator of heaven and earth, he's the God who has come close to Abram in relationship so much so as to somehow put his own life on the line. Which probably doesn't even make sense at that point. So now let me ask you this. When you look at the stars, what do you think about? What does it remind you of? More specifically, when you see a cross, what do you think about? Is it just a pretty object? Or is there more to it than that? The reason that Christians uh, display crosses a lot, I think, has to do with the same reason that God showed Abram the stars. It's a way of us reminding ourselves of the promises that God has made to us and the way in which he has confirmed these promises to us. And so we ask ourselves, does God love the world or does he not? And we can look at the way things are going and say, I don't know. I don't know. Much in the same way that Abram had received promises from God, and then he looks at the way things are going in his life and goes, I don't know. I don't know. God says, go look at the stars. And then remember the promise I've made. And as Christians for many generations... The answer to the question, does God love the world, is not, we'll turn on the news and find out. Let's look at the cross. Remember who God is, how he has revealed himself to us, what it is that he has done in the past. This is his resume. And then we ask ourselves, do we believe him? And what Paul tells us in Romans is, same as for Abram, who believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, the same for us. That we look at who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. And we believe that he really has taken the penalty of the broken covenant on himself. That he has been the one in Jesus who has died, not us in order that we can truly be forgiven and have a right relationship with God if we believe. 
asked you earlier, how many of you like waiting? And Abram's not done waiting yet. And we're not done waiting yet either. There is uh, the kingdom of God that is already here in some sense, but that we are still waiting for it to be to come in fullness. But as we wait, just like Abraham or Abram was waiting for the promises to be fulfilled, he had something to look back on. And he had the relationship with God who is his great shield, his very great reward. We too have something to look back on. And we too have a great shield and our very great reward. Jesus, who has promised in, uh, after his death, after his resurrection to new life, who has promised to be with us always. He's got a pretty good track record. He's got a pretty good resume. And our job is to trust, to believe, and to walk with him as we wait for him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for all that you have made and the ways in which uh, we can learn about who you are and how you do what you do. As we look at the stars, as we look at the other planets, as we look at uh, this planet, even in our own corner of this world, or there's so much that we can learn about uh, who you are as creator, even in our own backyards. But Lord, you didn't stop there, but you have given us so much more that we can know you better and better, that you are not just the creator, but that you are also the redeemer, the sustainer of life, the giver of new life. Lord, we thank you that uh, for the promises that we have in Christ, and God, we thank you that we know in Christ all those promises are yes. Maybe we haven't seen them all um, in fullness yet, but God, you've given us more than enough to go on. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember where to look when the waiting gets hard. Help us to remember uh, who you are, your faithfulness to us in everything. Help us to remember the good news of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.